Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Christy. This is my co-host, Bretta May. She's my fur kiddo. She is going to help keep me focused today. We want to thank you. I see that you're sharing the podcast. You're talking about it on the Facebook group. I really appreciate that. The families appreciate that also. If you aren't a member yet, come on over to the Facebook group, Death, Lies, and Alibis. And we talk about the cases. We discuss different theories. We also share documents and reports like autopsies. We have death certificates. So you can do your own research and also so you can see what the official documents look like. So, yeah, stop over and we can help you get informed, educated, and advocate for justice for these cold cases. Okay, I want to drop this on you. Listen, in 1965, the murder clearance rate was 91%. Since then, it has dropped to 62%. Now, that's of 2017. These are not just statistics. These are people, people who have families and loved ones for whom the case never been cold. A study released by the National Institute of Justice states that approximately 4 out of 10 homicides are not solved. 4 out of 10 murders do not receive justice and remain free to continue to commit crimes. And 4 out of 10 homicide victims do not receive any sort of resolution, adding to the ever-growing number of cold cases. Now, with 40% of homicides unsolved, the likelihood that cases will find a resolution as time progresses diminishes. However, now that doesn't mean that all hope should be lost. And these stats should not replace the lives that are lost. Families deserve answers. Victims deserve a voice. And no one should be a statistic. We try to think about and organize our research in a manner that increases the positive effect and decreases the possible negative impact on the families or potential subjects involved in a case. First, we do no harm. The aim is not to cause more danger or damage to the loved ones or impede progress, but to uncover details that might have gone unnoticed. So as you go on about your research out there, just remember to follow the basic rule. Actions plus behaviors equal consequences. Okay, the James Frecker case, My Life Mattered. This case has a lot of twists and turns. It really does. All through the story, from beginning, middle, to end. Um, Yeah, it's really surprising. So what we did is we gathered all the news articles that we could, and I'm going to read through them. I'm not going to spend very much time on these in this show because there's a lot of them, and they're detailed. But my point about these is let's get the name out there. Let's get the case out there because you're going to have a lot of questions, trust me. You should anyways. And I want to just, yeah, get it started because we definitely have a follow-up show to this um, coming right up because... Not only, like I said, it's long, we're not going to get it all in that I want to get in, but we won't even get really into the suspects of avenues and, and the rabbit holes that we can go down. Yeah, we haven't, we have, this will not be happening in this show. So I want to warn you on that one, but it's very interesting. And uh, so, yeah, let's just start off. Let's start at the beginning. So what we did, like I said, Times Recorder is our local newspaper. We will cite our sources 
we will put it on our podcast show notes, and we also will put it on our website. Okay, let's start at the beginning. Times Recorder, March 25th, 1990. That was a Sunday. And the headline read, Looking View Man Found Bludgeon. Sheriff deputies are investigating the death of a Muskingum County man who appeared to have been killed with a mechanic's hammer at his home in Looking View Saturday night, Sheriff Bernie Gibson reported. James E. Frecker, 46, of 2290 Looking Road, was found dead in his home about 7.30 p.m. by a male friend. The sheriff said that Frecker suffered several bad lacerations on his scalp, and he had been dead for several hours before his body was discovered. They don't know of any motive yet, and don't know if anything was stolen from the home, because it was unclear at first what the victim had. However, the sheriff noted that there were signs of struggle in the residence. He stated that it appeared as though there was no forced entry into the home. No drugs were found at the residence, and they didn't even see so much as a single bottle of alcohol, new or old. At this time, they don't know of any other residents living in the home. Frecker was pretty much of a loner. He worked at the Burnham Broiler plant, but not much else about the homicide victim was known. Gibson said that Frecker's body would be transported to the morgue at Good Samaritan Medical Center, said that the coroner, E.J. Booth, can examine the victim and possibly determine the exact cause and time of death. There were no known suspects, according to Gibson, as the investigation continues. We do have his obituary on the Facebook group, and we also have his death certificate posted on this Facebook group. Okay, so this introduces us to some char- uh, main characters of our case, our story here. We have Sheriff Bernie Gibson, and it speaks of our coroner, E.J. Booth, and then it introduces us also to James Frecker. He was 46 years old. Um, for you that know where the Burnham Broiler plant is, he lived right across the street there, where what now is a parking lot. Um, so yeah, and he had a, there was a bad struggle, they said, I can just about imagine. Um, no forced entry as of yet. And again, uh, besides seeing the struggle inside the home, there was head, scalp, and body injury. So let's go on. James Jimmy Edward Frecker was born November 21, 1943, in Pontiac, Michigan, to Paul W. and Helen Brunton Frecker. He had a large family. He had three sisters and three brothers. The family was not very close. We've learned very little about his personal life, except within the last few days. We have come across a few things that we're going to look into, and we definitely will bring that to you in the follow-up show. All right, three days later. Now, remember, the first article we just read was, the first one was March 25th. So, three days later, the Times Recorder, March 28th, 1990, that was a Wednesday. The headline said, Evidence Called Ample in Slang. Muskingum County Sheriff Bernie Gibson said investigators have enough evidence to convict the killer of James Frecker. They have enough evidence to be able to convict without any problem once the department gets a suspect. The sheriff thinks Frecker knew who it was who killed him. No forced entry into the residence was evident. Frecker sustained a splintered skull. A mechanic's hammer found near his body may not be the murder weapon. 
and authorities believe some other metal object may have been used in the killing. His body was found Saturday evening, March 24th, by a young couple who have since moved out of the three-bedroom house they shared with Brecker. Brecker had bruises on his back and his forearms, Gibson said, signifying that he put up a struggle with his attacker. No motive had been found for his death. Brecker worked across the street at the Burnham Corporation and rode his bicycle to work. Okay, real quick, we'll talk about this. This is the... The article that says ample in slang, that really concerns me right off the bat. It's only been three days. I don't understand what... I, they have a lot of it, I get. But to convict, I mean, that's not even a... That's not even a charge or a talk-to or a arrest. That's a convict. And again, it mentioned no forced entry. The body was a bloody mess. There might, and James might have known his attacker. That could be interesting. All right, let's continue. Okay, so about two weeks after that, there was an article in the Times Recorder, April 13th, 1990. That was a Friday. The headline said, Slaying Suspect in Jail. A suspect in the March 24th bludgeoning death of James Frecker is being held in the Muskingum County Jail on felony charges unrelated to the homicide, Sheriff Bernie Gibson said Thursday. The prisoner has been arraigned on those charges and cannot be formally charged in connection with the murder or released until evidence from the crime scene at Frecker's home is returned from the F by the FBI, and that could take weeks, Gibson said. The sheriff said he had an obligation to the public. That's why he released information about the murderer, although no formal charges have been presented to Prosecutor Alan Wolf. Gibson said there are no other suspects in connection with the murder. He said a few days after the murder that the department had enough evidence to convict someone. Brecker was found by a couple who lived in the same three-bedroom home. Okay, let's do chat about this one for a minute. This is really concerning because Zanesville is a small city we have, and a small towns and villages around us. So I, I'm telling you, people know who this guy is. Without naming his name, they put a target on this man. I'm telling you, because like I said, think about it. They, they know who he is. Um, that pretty, that really, I think it's, I think it's really, without having the evidence back, you know, maybe they know something we don't, but they just don't have the evidence back. And that's what, what concerns me. But um, come over to the Facebook group. That's where we discuss the things. Because like I said, this was a, is a long one. So let's continue. Times Recorder, September 22nd, 1990, Saturday. The headline, Frecker Murder Suspect Sent to Penitentiary. The suspect in the James Frecker murder case has been sent away to the penitentiary on other charges, where he will remain for a year, said Muskingum County Sheriff Bernie Gibson. Frecker was brutally killed March 21st at his residence. Coroner Dr. E.J. Booth said he died of skull fracture. A mechanic's hammer was found near Frecker's body in the home where investigators said a struggle took place. Gibson would not divulge the name of the suspect, but said no one else was involved. 
The department can't say his name any more than they can about the Huffman case because he has not been charged. Samuel Huffman, 26, of Zanesville, was found in the Muskingum County River August 23rd. His death is under investigation. The holdup in the Frecker case may be because the FBI was told that a suspect was being held. Gibson said that's why the evidence in the case has not been a priority for the federal investigators. They have to study evidence in cases where killer remains on the loose. Gibson said, We made a mistake of telling the FBI that he was in jail with another charge. So, a few weeks after the murder, the laboratory in Washington, D.C. notified the sheriff that it would take another three to four months now for results on fingerprints and blood samples. Gibson maintained that the department has enough evidence to convict someone in the murder. Okay, just to comment on this uh, real quick, is the sheriff did admit to the mistake of telling the FBI about the suspect murderer being in jail. Um, so the FBI was not pre investigating the evidence. Um, they say there are no other people that were involved. They seem pretty sure about that. Um, there's no motive. I'm still, you know, wondering, was it, you know, a friend, a foe, a lover, a co-worker, a, a robbery. There's nothing that has been said there. There's no risky lifestyle, no drugs, not even alcohol, nothing like that. So we still have a lot of questions. Let's continue. Times Recorder, March 23rd, 1991. That was a Saturday. The headline says, A year after murder, no suspects in jail. One year ago, this weekend, James E. Frecker was clubbed to death in a brutal struggle, but his relatives, who are expecting a murder trial by now, haven't seen any results from the Muskingum County Sheriff's investigation. Sheriff Bernie Gisman said that he's proud of his detectives, who at the start worked 48 hours on the case and interviewed at least 25 people. But now, for the people who knew Jimmy Frecker, this past year has made them wonder, the sheriff believed laboratory findings that had been collected would bring strong evidence against the killer, but that turned up empty. The fact is, the evidence took longer than normal, referring to the hair, blood, and fingerprint samples that were hand-delivered to the FBI in Washington, D.C. Tests have found nothing but evidence from the victim's body but some tests are being redone because they were not the kind of evidence that the detective expected, Gibson said. We thought we had a lot of evidence at first, but it turned up we didn't have blank. Everything that turned up was the victim's blood and prints, he stated. Although it looked as though a mechanic's hammer laying near the body was used in the attack, detectives have determined that the murder weapon has not been found. Becker's body was found March 24, 1990, pinned up against a back door by a young couple who lived in the same house. He officially died from blows to the head. We've just kind of put it in the back of our minds, said Dolores Frecker, an in-law who lives in Swainsboro, Georgia. If my husband was there, he'd be after them. Her husband is Bob Frecker, the brother who spent time trying to get answers about the case. 
Brecker is the furthest away from the Zanesville of any family members, but he's the closest to his brother. He has returned to Muskingum County about three times since his brother's death. He spent much of that time at the Sheriff's Department. We understood they had a suspect in jail on another charge, said Bob. In fact, they even told us his name. We understood at the start that the Sheriff's Department had a strong case. Gibson assured the public last year that he had a suspect in custody, saying they had enough evidence to be able to convict without any problem once they had a suspect. That person is no longer locked up. A motive for the murder has not been released, and no immediate arrests are predicted, he said. Bob and Dolores described Jimmy as a giving, a nice person who cut neighbor's lawn without asking for money. Bob said he kept to himself and he rode his bicycle to work. And folks, that's what we've heard. We don't haven't found anybody real close to James, but people that did know him through a friend, knew a friend, so to speak, is just that he just liked to go to work, uh, do a good job, and live life. He wasn't a travel maker. If you look at his picture, we have it on our website, and we'll have it on our Facebook group. But he has big ears. He has horn rim, black horn rim glasses and a cute little smile. He just looks like a nerd, I swear. He wouldn't, looks like he wouldn't bother anybody. Looks like he wouldn't step on a bug. We'll continue. In his will, he left his belongings to the person who lived in his house. Local family does not follow the investigation. He has a sister in Columbus and two brothers in Malta and Crooksville. A local resident said James' family was kind of scattered around and broke up. They were not a very close-knit family. If they have evidence against the killer, why don't they arrest him, said a relative who did not wish to be named. I just feel that had it been anybody important killed, they'd find out who did it and prosecute him. It's hard to believe there's been no progress, said Bob Frecker. You could see blood splattered all over the ceiling, room, and back door. The weapon used to kill Frecker was something blunt and heavy, but that's as far as the coroner determined, said Gibson. He's as disappointed as anybody that this is not solved at this time. He said two detectives are working on it as they come up with things on a day-to-day basis. Said Dolores, who had been thinking of him before contacted by a reporter, Jimmy was a big person. He would have fought for his life, but he wouldn't have started a fight. It's hard to believe that they haven't solved the thing. It would be a good thing for unsolved mysteries. And I so agree, that is. And they said he would have fought for his life. This is an up-close-and-personal murder to me. What do you guys think? Because this was a heavy, blunt force object. Somebody was not walking away from that alive. That fight, somebody was not walking away alive. That is a bloody, think about it, when somebody beats somebody, that, that's a long, hard battle with a lot of effort put into it. A shot or a rifle or a pistol, whatever, a gun, shoot them. A knife, throat, stab them in the heart, but it's to beat them to death. So was it somebody in there and they don't have any evidence you know again was it somebody that was already in there is that why the sheriff was so dang set had a target on that dude's back because he you know there was nothing that he saw out of place 
no forced entry. Let's continue. Let's talk about that on the Facebook. Okay, this is a Times Recorder article, April 20th, 1991. That's a Saturday. This is a special article. It is Letter to the Editors. And the headline read, Unsolved Murder Painful to Family. Jimmy Frecker was a big part of our family. In fact, he told everyone we were the only real family he had ever had. We all loved Jimmy very much. He was always at my house for holiday functions, family picnics, and even vacation. Anything to do with family, Jimmy was there. My son and daughter-in-law lived with Jimmy until they could afford a place of their own. They were the ones who found his body. From then on, our life has been a living hell. None of us could afford counseling to help us through the nightmare of Jimmy's death. I still have a hard time coping with the murder, but I'm the type that holds everything inside. The night the kids found Jimmy was a mess up from the word go. After my son and daughter-in-law called the police, they called me and asked me to come out. At the time, I didn't know Jimmy was dead. When I got there, I started toward the house. A man came up to me and started shoving me until I found out on the bank. He never once identified himself, and all I kept asking was, what was I doing there? Later, I found he was a detective. When I finally got to where the kids were, I was in total shock. I still didn't know what was going on until my son told me that Jimmy had been murdered. It's hard for anyone to cope with a loved one's death, whether it's from a natural cause, a wreck, or a war. You miss them, but gradually it becomes bearable. When a loved one is murdered, nothing is being solved. The pain stays with you day and night, and it doesn't get bearable. It's a constant racking pain. I'm disappointed with the Muskingum County Sheriff and Coroner's Departments, and most of all with the Muskingum County Prosecuting Attorney Alan Wolf's Department. It tears me up to see none of the above cares or apparently wants to help solve Jimmy's murder. Even the press isn't that interested, or they'd help us with the power of the press to push these officials into doing their jobs and doing them right. Donita Smith, Zanesville. Alrighty, let's continue. One month later. Times Recorder. This is May 31st, 1991. That was a Wednesday. The head, oh, excuse me, this is an article to the editor. The headline read, Frecker Murder Complicated Case. This letter is in response to Donita Smith's letter to the editor published in the Times Recorder, Saturday, April 20th. I was in charge of James Frecker murder scene and currently am the supervisor of the detective assigned to that investigation. I want to make three points concerning Donita Smith's comments. One, at no time did any Muskingum County Sheriff detective push any person over any bank. That never happened. Two, as I write this letter, the Frecker case is being worked on. This is an open case, which is very complicated, including over 300 pieces of physical evidence. This was a real-life killing, not a 30-minute television show. The Muskingum County Sheriff's Office is greatly concerned over the Frecker homicide. 
evidence of this is a very conservative estimate of the 1,172 hours spent on this investigation. The investigation is continuing at a rate of several hours per week. Further evidence of this is the thoroughness of the investigation. Sarcastically, the FBI in Washington asked us why we didn't send them the whole house to be examined regarding our attempt to have any and all physical evidence examined. In closing, I wish to express our sorrow to the family and friends of Jimmy Frecker. I also wish they would try to understand this is not an easy investigation. If this murder is not resolved with an arrest, it is because there is not enough evidence, not because we didn't care or try. Detective Lieutenant Steve Welker on behalf of seven Muskingum County Sheriff's Detectives. Okay, my comments on this is this is a he said, she said type of situation, and I really agree with both sides. I can see both sides. The family, of course, is frustrated after so long and being told over and over again that the suspect, the murderer, you know, we got, we have him, we have him. He's, you know, we know who it is. Um, and then, of course, the, the detectives, I'm sure they are too. If they knew who it is, and it really is who they think it is, um, that has to be, you know, frustrating, just within the, the grasp, and and they can't, they can't get the killer. That's frustrating. So, let's continue. That's about all I have to say on that one. So, 10 months after the letters to the editor... The Times recorder reported March 23, 1992, which was a Monday, and the headline said, 90 murder case to be presented. Evidence from a brutal murder two years ago will be presented to a Muskingum County grand jury next month, said County Prosecutor Alan Wolf in an excuse on interview with the Times recorder. James Frecker was bludgeoned to death between March 23rd and March 24th, 1990 at his Looking View residence. Wolf said they're going to take all the evidence that they have required since then and present it to the grand jury in April. The Muskingum County Sheriff's Department has made no arrests in connection with Frecker's death. Sheriff Bernie Gibson said they've been waiting a long time for this case to be presented to a grand jury. The case has been in the hands of the prosecutor's office for about a year. If we take it to the grand jury and they reject it, at least we did our job, Gibson said. Soon after the murder, the Sheriff's Department had a murder suspect in custody for questioning. Gibson later said evidence hand-delivered to the Federal Bureau of Investigators was not sufficient to make any arrest. Wolf said investigators have been looking for an opening in the case and the murder weapon was not immediately identified. More evidence has been turned over the last two years, he added. Frecker was killed by blows to the head with a heavy object. A mechanic's hammer was found near the body, which was clad in only an underwear and a t-shirt. His skull was splintered, and blood was found splattered on the walls, doors, and furniture. Wolf said they will see if the grand jury feels there's enough evidence to return an indictment. A grand jury date in April has not been set yet. Brecker's house was bought by Burnham Corporation after the murder and razzed, and the property is now a parking lot. A couple who shared a three-bedroom house with Frecker found his body and notified authorities. Since then, they have suffered from emotional problems and have gotten a divorce. 
The man has since been unable to sleep regularly and drinks heavily. After that happened to Jim, everything started going downhill, he recalled. I stayed sober for two weeks and then started going out drinking again. His mother said he wouldn't talk for days after the murder. He was questioned for hours after he and his wife found the body. Police confirmed his alibi that he had been in the city jail serving time for drunk driving offense. I got out of jail the same day that we found him, he said, speaking on condition of anonymity. We had just got our income tax money and were going to take Jim out to eat. Area friends interviewed by investigators said they also didn't want their names printed because they fear retribution from the killer. Those who knew Frecker said he may have been murdered by someone who broke into the house and unexpectedly found him there. I'm glad to see the law enforcement officers are doing something, said the original prime suspect. I'm just glad to see they got this far. Okay, just a few comments on this one. I do not see Sheriff Gibson owning up to anything of this when he says if the grand jury rejects it, at least we did our job. I, I, I think it's a little bold because they did collect, and I'm sure, I'm sure there was a lot of million hours and manpower and a lot of data collected. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure there was, but a lot of evidence collected, it wasn't the right evidence. So it just, it just makes me wonder, was it collected correctly? Um, I understand there was no hair or, or anything, but no blood hair. Did they check for DNA under the fingerprints? If so, and there was none, was the killer bundled up? It was March. He could have had a big coat, gloves, hat, all that. Um, was it somebody that he did know and he was comfortable with because he was in his underwear and T-shirt? Uh, was it a lover? Was it somebody from the past? Um, just a lot of questions. I don't think this couple are involved. They're cooperating. Um, the poor, they sound like they've been traumatized by this. I just don't think they're involved. Okay, we can talk further over on the group. Let's continue. The Times Recorder, April 30th, 1992. That was a Thursday. No headline. It just says, Prosecutor Alan Wolf said the murder of James Brecker was presented to a grand jury Wednesday. Brecker was found bludgeoned to death at his home on March 23rd, 1990. No one has been arrested in connection with his death. More than 30 cases were presented to a grand jury in an all-day session at Muskingum County Courthouse. Okay, glad to see they're, they're doing this. That's, that's just awesome. There's making a move. What surprised me out of this is there's more than 30 cases to be presented to the grand jury in an all-day session. That's a lot of bad people in Muskingum County. All right, one month later, the Times Recorder, now this is May 1st, 1992, was a Friday. And the headline says, no one indicted for Frecker murder. When Muskingum County Prosecutor Alan Wolf was told last month that a man had confessed to the 1990 murder of James Frecker, he felt a load lifted from his shoulders. But by Wednesday, that compassion turned into another brick wall for the investigators, who were left with just the physical evidence from two years ago and the, and the bloodbath at Frecker's home. It's now a closed matter, and if they get additional evidence, it will open up. 
One month ago, a man told Assistant County Prosecutor that he committed the murder that occurred sometime between March 23rd and March 24th. Brecker was bludgeoned to death, and his skull was splintered. Two of Brecker's housemates found the bloody body blocking the rear door of the house. A murder weapon has not been recovered. The man who said he had killed Brecker was examined by a psychiatrist and considered to be not believable. He didn't know the 100% of what we knew, said Muskingum County Sheriff Bernie Gibson. He just wanted the publicity. Wolf said he did not know why the man admitted to the murder, but the psychiatrist's evaluation showed he was feeling guilty about another matter unrelated to the Frecker case. Grand jurors said the case was good, said Gibson, but not good enough to take to a court of law. The Sheriff's Department had a suspect in custody a few days after the crime, but could not charge him because of insufficient evidence. They hand-delivered evidence of blood and hair to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, but were not satisfied with the findings. We just don't have enough evidence to absolutely guarantee what the law says we have to have, says Gibson. According to the detectives, we made a fair effort at grand jury. Wednesday's conclusion was disappointing to the friends of Frecker. Said a disgruntled close friend of Frecker, I was hoping they would do something because I can't believe they don't have enough evidence. The way it looks, I don't think anyone will get caught, said the man who found Frecker's body. The man's wife said it's very upsetting. What happened to the evidence that they were supposed to have? None of this makes sense, she stated. The woman who found the body said the investigation of the case is too peculiar because Frecker's house was cleaned two weeks after the murder. It was bought by Burnham Broil Corporation, razzed shortly afterward, and made into a parking lot. I want the person charged who did this. The detectives are still telling us that we don't know, but they don't have to live with a nightmare I've been going through, said the woman. I want to read the last article that we could find. We're going to sum this up. Times Recorder, March 31st, 1996. This is a Sunday. The headline read, Who Killed James Frecker? Six years ago last weekend, James E. Frecker put up the fight for his life. He lost. That time has passed without his killer or killers being charged. His friends and even the investigators have wondered, did the person pegged as a suspect by the Muskingum County Sheriff's Office get away with murder? Frecker, 46, was awakened March 24th 1990 at his Licking Roadhouse. He confronted a burglar and was bludgeoned to death according to the scenario constructed by the investigators. He was killed as a result of confronting a burglar in his home that could have identified him, said Detective Brian Hoover, who was assigned the case. Blood spatter evidence was delivered to the FBI lab in Washington, D.C., Detectives studied footprints and questioned for hours the couple who found the body and talked to anyone who knew Frecker, who was described as a loner and a homosexual. What bothers friends of Frecker is that Sheriff Bernie Gibson assured the public three weeks after the murder that the suspect was in custody. The case was presented to the grand jury. No charges resulted. That does not sit well with Hoover, the lead investigator. We know what it takes to get this case over the hump, but these people who can help us are not the most civic-minded people in the world. 
We had a guy try to confess to the murder, Hoover said. It was easy to roll him out. He confessed for personal reasons. The case is now inactive but not closed. The suspect, who could not be reached for this story, is available to the investigators. David Grither, a Zanesville police shift supervisor at the time, said he remembers encountering a possible suspect in the murder case. I gave the sheriff's office an idea of a possible suspect, Grither said. It was good enough that they questioned the guy. Coincidentally, Grether stopped the same man for a traffic violation shortly after the murder. Things came out of that that really led me to believe that he had a prior contact with Frecker, Grether said. Friends and family can't believe that Frecker was the victim of just one killer. But that's what happens, says Hoover. Different situations and a different weapon bring people to their knees awfully quick, he said. One of the largest questions in the case is the weapon used to kill Frecker. It can't be found. It may not have been a hammer, as deputies earlier thought, but some other heavy blunt object. The killer used the element of surprise because he apparently did not think anyone would be home, Hoover said. Frecker has recently switched shifts at the Burnham Corporation where he worked for many years. A fellow employee went to check on Frecker because he failed to show up for work that day, but apparently knocked at the front door. Frecker was later found dead propped up against the rear porch door. His neighbor, Renee Woofter, still has nightmares about finding his body. She and her husband at the time found Frecker lying on his stomach inside the near back door. Without thinking, she immediately picked up the buddy telephone and called 911. Keith Wolfter said he had been drinking a lot since Frecker's death. He was the prime suspect at the time. I would have been the main suspect if I hadn't gotten out of jail that day, Wolfter said. I think about it all the time. I may have known who the killer was. They went to take Frecker to lunch that day. The victim's paycheck was in the house. Investigators aren't saying if anything was stolen. At the time, the then coroner, Dr. E.J. Booth, estimated the time of death between midnight and 8 a.m. There's no way to establish the time of death, Hoover said. He had been dead for several hours. A china cabinet, part of a wall, and other blood-specked items were sent to the FBI investigators. They don't want to talk about the evidence. Hoover has explained the case to victims' families whose brothers and sisters live out of town. It's not like on TV, Hoover said. You feel terrible when you come up with an inch short. There's nothing more terrible in the world to say the evidence is just not good enough. Some people have criticized the sheriff's office, saying they haven't found the killer because Frecker was gay. Donita Smith, a close friend of Frecker's, said that she tried to get some money for reward to the killer's arrest and no one else had been that interested. I think they swept it under the rug because he was gay, Smith said of the investigators. This case has nothing to do with the victim's sexual orientation, Hoover said. It doesn't make a difference in the investigation if people don't agree with his lifestyle. Smith went to the murder scene that day not knowing what happened and only that her son was being held for questioning. She remains bitter about the being treated harshly by the deputies at the scene. It's sad that nothing has been done, she said. With the physical evidence, 
I can't believe they can't come up with anything. But if dogs could speak, the murder may have been solved by now. A once hyperactive dog owned by Frucker was an apparent witness to the murder. But he died two years ago in the care of Worcester's mother, Sandra Ross. The dog acted like he was always scared. He always was huddled in the corner, Russ said. When he first came to us, he was terrified, like somebody had been abusing him. He never acted that way before. He was huddled in the corner. He was just terrified. Oh, if only dogs could talk. Hoover is nearing retirement, but still holds out hope. He keeps the suspect's picture in his desk drawer. It's a sad commentary in the justice system. When someone gets murdered and someone can nearly escape, Hoover said. As a part of that system, Hoover said he knows that what investigators need to crack the case. I've got all the time in the world, he said. I'm patient. All right, folks, let's chat about this for a minute. I think, personally, I see hope in this case of being solved. Um, I don't know, of course, I wish we all could know if any updated DNA has been tested, any of the update, the evidence, if they had so much evidence, because um, we have, what, that mitochondrial DNA, we have the ancestral DNA, we have touch DNA, so, you know, very curious about that, um, I do, yeah, I, I, I want to speak up for James. He has nobody. We've tried to reach out. We do have a couple resources that has a friend that knew a friend, that type of thing. So, um, yeah, we're here to speak up for James. As you can tell, um, we had a shocker there in the first six years was never mentioned. And that was, it was uh, quite a turn and twist, wasn't it? That was that James was gay. I don't know why that was never mentioned before maybe they didn't think it was a big deal and that's cool um <clears throat> but now we have the avenue to go down right we have a different type of killer could have been a lover um could it have been a hate crime now um also i have something i would like to read to you Okay, so let's talk about sub, uh, suspects. Let's talk about persons of interest. We're talking about lovers, ex-lovers maybe. Um, I do want to read you this. Brian Dooley, 19, of 1339 East Main Street, was sentenced by Judge Richard Hickson to one year each in the High Reformatory on charges of breaking and entering and grand theft. He was accused of taking an AMF in stereo, a tiller, and a push mower owned by James Frecker on June 30th. Dooley's two co-defendants have yet to be sentenced. This is from the Times Recorder, and this was a year almost to the day that James was murdered. And a second one here is from the Times Recorder. It says, Sean Brownfield, 18 of 1399 Stone Street, had his six-month sentence suspended and was placed on five-year probation for breaking and entering and grand theft. Brownfield was charged with breaking into a residence of James E. Frucker June 30th and taking tools and a stereo player. Brownfield must serve 10 days in the county jail and perform 80 hours of community service work. A co-defendant in the case, William P. Brunton, 19, 
of 301 Wayne Avenue was ordered to serve 20 days in jail and perform 120 hours of community service work. Brunton received the same suspended sentence. Now, I think that's very interesting, Consider it was a year before, considering that Brian Wolfter was the first suspect, but I don't think he was the prime suspect. We are looking into these names. We have looked into their criminal records from this time forward and see what's happening. Um, so, yeah, we have that. We have that. We have the suspect that the assistant prosecuting attorney that he, remember, he stopped at a traffic stop uh, that he thought maybe might be a good suspect. A lot of questions. We had a lot of, a lot of being told that we had, you know, a lot of evidence and that we could convict and, and unfortunately that wasn't true. So now that it's, you know, 2023, I'm hoping that something, something can happen. This was 33 years ago. Uh, I don't like the idea that they kind of fit their theory to the lack of evidence, um, with, you know, somebody breaking in because it does, and, you know, stealing what it doesn't make sense. His paycheck was there. They might, I, I take that back. It could have been somebody that was broken in, yes, and that James was on a different ship, correct. That could have been, but I think it was personal. I really do. I think it was personal. I think it was somebody, they're right. I think it's somebody that James knew. Um, I think it was maybe shock. If not that, I'm looking at maybe a lover or something. Just how it was done. Um... Yeah, so come over to the group. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about these suspects and t more timelines and the articles and more questions and see what we can come up with. I really appreciate y'all listening. Appreciate you very much. We really do. Please keep coming back. We're trying to get these stories out there. We're trying to get some cold cases opened up around our area. And hopefully we can just do some good. We appreciate all of you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Leave some hearts for James. You know, he needs somebody to speak up for him. Shows your support.